So we are continuing on the chronological life of Jesus, and we are continuing now in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter uh, 6. We're continuing on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in verse 16, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. So let me remind you that the Sermon on the Mount is not Christian ethics for this day. If it were, we would have to go back under the law because Jesus specifically said that the whole law is, is in effect during this period. He said that. It wasn't until he died and rose, it wasn't until he died that, that he had fulfilled everything needed in the law. But what is underscored here then in the epistles is very much for us and the principles we can learn from. Okay, so this is uh, Matthew chapter 6 verse 16. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, with, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret." And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So there is no New Testament commandment that we participate in fasting. There were fastings that were under the law, but there's no New Testament commandment that we fast. However, we very much have the option of fasting in the New Testament. So there's about 150 things that we're obliged to do in the New Testament. Fasting is not one of them. But it's an optional thing. And it's a wonderful thing to participate in in fasting, and, and that's something you can do on your own, and, and you don't have to blow a trumpet and tell everybody you're fasting. And in fact, Jesus says, do just the opposite. He said, don't tell anybody, and let your fasting be between you and God. And he says, then God will reward you. Because he, 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 says, he says right here, he says in verse 18, at the end of verse 18, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So there is a reward in fasting. Very often when you fast and pray for things, you see those things come about. You get answers to prayer, and now sometimes the answer is no, but you always will get closer to God. And I will tell you personally, I don't particularly like fasting because I get awfully hungry when I fast. But nonetheless, I do it because I like the value of what comes Afterward, it is never an easy thing for me. And uh, uh, even just knowing that I'm going to be going on a fast in a few days, I start feeling extra hungry just in anticipation of that fast. And then once the fast begins, usually for the first couple of days, I'm not a very happy person. But the scripture tells me not to put on a gloomy face. And... and uh, because that's our initial reaction. And so what Jesus says in verse 17, he says, But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. So in other words, people are, you're not supposed to put on a different appearance. And you don't have to sit down and say, Oh, I'm sorry, I can't eat. I'm fasting. No, you just, just don't say anything. Just don't go down to where people are eating. And uh, um, so you can, you can do this discreetly and you can spend time in prayer and fasting. So it is a great thing to participate in. Sometimes people will call together and a certain group will say, let's, let's fast and pray. Again, you still have the option in that. There is that option, but it's something that, that you can do. And I'd encourage you to do it. Uh, you, you know, I, I have this, this practice where once a year I'll go on an extended fast. Because it, what it does is it just helps me to refocus. And, and 
you know, I can become lethargic in my faith. And it really take, takes me to a place where I can refocus. Again, this is something that I do because I want to get closer to God. I'm not under obligation to do it. We can put things upon ourselves, but we're never to put it upon others. And very often you will find when people are fasting, they want everybody else around them to fast too. And that's exactly the opposite of what should be done. We're supposed to be praying in secret. Because when people are fasting, they can become full of themselves and start talking about fasting. So the worst time to, to give a message on fasting is when you're fasting. Because then you, you can, you can you know, feel this bitterness that everybody else isn't fasting with you. And, and, uh, but it's interesting that Jesus says, so when you're fasting... You, you are to anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men. Well, how does fasting not get noticed if one washes their face and anoints their head? And this is, means anoints their head with oil. Because that is a typical practice that they did. So, in other words, keep doing the typical hygienic things that you're supposed to be doing. This is a good lesson for college students to maintain hygiene. He's not saying only when you're fasting. He's saying you do it when you're fasting just as you do normally. This is a good thing to do. And, and uh, I remember there were a couple of young ladies that used to come to the, to the class here and then they'd come over for lunch and they had this habit. They were very attractive young ladies but they had this habit on Sunday mornings of just letting themselves go. And so... It was as if they never really brushed their hair. They would just take it up and put it in a ponytail, and that was it. And, they'd, and, and um, I, I heard Shireen one day speaking to them in the kitchen, and she was telling them in her very nice way, you always want to look your best. Always look your best. When you wake up in the morning, you, you wash your hair, you brush your hair, you comb it out nicely, and you make yourself look your best. And always present yourself at your best. And uh, she had always told this to my daughters, and now I saw her speaking this way to college students, and these two girls were really listening. Well, lo and behold, the next week the two girls came to class, and they looked very different. And from that time onward, they came differently. And so it's been many years since they've graduated, and I see them come back once in a while. So this one young lady has come back a couple of times to visit us, and whenever she comes back, I mean, she is stunning. She's just... You know, nice clothes, nice hair, everything. And I, and I look at her and I say, you know, you look to me like a CEO. I mean, you are chief executive officer. And she works in Washington and she says, I still remember your wife taught me one morning. And, uh, and this has stood with her. Another young lady, the other young lady, she's in full-time ministry now. And whenever I see her, she looks good. So it's okay to look good. And to, to, to keep yourself nice. Jesus said, he said, wash your face and anoint your head. Not because you are fasting, but because you are fasting, you're to look like you do normally. So the implication is, you wash your face and you anoint yourself. That's the implication there. So uh, uh, this thing of just, oh, it doesn't matter how you look. Well, Jesus said, wash your face and anoint yourself. And you know the other interesting thing? After the resurrection... What does it say? It says they looked in and they saw the linen wrappings there and it says, and the head roll was rolled up and set there in its place. Of all days that Jesus could have just cut loose, just throw off the grave cloth and, you know, 
don't make the bed. But no, he took care of it. Whether it was Jesus or whether it was the angels, we don't know. But when they looked in, it was orderly. It wasn't just thrown all over. So to keep your room clean is not particularly a bad thing. I mean, we do have little snippets of lessons here that are, that, that are good for us. And uh, So anyway, we'll just move on from there. I hate to extrapolate based on what the text says. Anyway, it's just a joke. All right, so, let's, verse, verse, uh, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither, neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So he's talking about treasures, he's talking about wealth on earth versus treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven. And then he puts these two, two verses about, about the eye there. But we know that that must apply to the topic at hand because on either side of those two verses, he's again talking about this issue of wealth. So he says, do not store up for yourselves, in verse 19, treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And this does not mean do not have a retirement account. This is a treasure. It's not sustenance. It's okay to store up sustenance on earth. To have food in the refrigerator. That you don't just have to live day to day or meal to meal anymore. It's okay to have a retirement account. And in fact, I know you don't think much about it, but one day you'll think more about it. And it's a good thing to do that because if you don't have that, you end up being a burden on somebody else because there comes a day where you can't work anymore because there's physical restrictions and you can't always do what you were doing. Or, you know, there's, there's retirement and people, you know, just kind of move you on into positions that... that um, because they feel you can't handle it anymore. To have a retirement account is a good thing. This is not a treasure. You know what a treasure is? A treasure is something way above what you really need. A treasure is not a bank account. So if you have $10,000 in a bank account, that is not a treasure. A treasure is, you know, a chest you open and just glittering gold and coming out. Way beyond what you ever need. I doubt if any of you have that right now. Um, I don't have that. So, but he says, guard against that sort of thing because you can lose it. You can lose your retirement account. And I think a lot about that because if they keep printing money, you know what happens. Then comes hyperinflation. And when hyperinflation comes, if you've saved X, now that X is worth X over a thousand. And that can happen. And so it can all go away. But then I ultimately, my trust is not in a retirement account. It's in God. Because I know what the Scriptures say. The Scripture says that the children of the righteous shall never beg bread. <clears throat> In fact, this, the psalmist writes, I have never seen the children of the righteous begging bread, begging for bread. Uh, that God will sustain you. It says that if you give food to the poor man, 
God Himself will repay you. This is what the Scriptures say. I know what's happened in my home. So, after you guys leave on Sundays, you know, we, a lot of times we have a lot of food left over. You know what Shireen does? She packs it up and she takes it to different families that can use it. She has it all arranged. She knows where she's going to go. She takes it to different families. I know that we will always be cared for. How do I know? Because the Scriptures promise that. Not because of the retirement account. But he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth because you can really lose them. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, though. So, in other words, there's a place that you can store up that you will never be without. It's because of the actions of, of Shireen that she goes around and gives to all these people that I know that we will never be without because that's storing up treasures in heaven. And that's the very same thing that he had said up in verse 18 at the end of it. So he who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And back in, in, in earlier on in chapter 6, he, he, talks about, um, he talks about in verse 4, he says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, there are rewards that you get. Stack up those rewards. Right now, you can start accruing those. And imagine, those are going to come with interest. Jesus spoke of interest. So good things that you do now, you think, oh, well, they'll be forgotten by the time I get to heaven. Uh Uh-uh. They won't be forgotten, and there'll be no, no hyperinflation, and there will be, these will accrue with interest toward your account. I don't know what he will do. He'll add a room onto your mansion, or he'll do certain things for you. But there is a reward that awaits you, both in this life and in the hereafter. When you serve God. He says, don't try to store up things on earth. And, and then he talks about the eye as the lamp of the body. He says, if your eye is bad, your whole, your whole body is going to be full of darkness. But if your eye is good, so in other words, what's the eye? That's, a, that's what we see with. Put around you good models. Every good habit that I have in my life, I have learned from godly men who have gone before me. Who were kind enough to teach me. These good, these good habits. Every good habit I have, I've, I've learned from godly men. Put people in front of you that model goodness and pick up their habits. Look at this. He says, if your eye is bad, the Bible says, uh, bad company corrupts good morals. So that's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15.33. Be not deceived. Do not be deceived, the Scriptures say. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you hang out with bad people, you will start being bad. I don't like, for example, I don't like to hear bad lecturers. When I hear somebody giving a bad lecture where every slide they say the word, you know, ten times for every slide, I don't even like to hear that because I'm like, ah, I don't want to pick up that bad habit. Because bad habits are so easy to pick up. Surround yourself with people that you admire and pick up their habits. Because if you hang out with the wrong people, you will really pick up their habits. You'll start speaking like they speak. You will react like they react. If they react sharply and meanly, you will start reacting like that. He says, surround yourself with good things. And then he he continues on this theme of money. And I want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. So, a couple books before before, uh, Hebrews is Timothy. And then you go from 2 Timothy back to 1 Timothy. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, 
And we're going to start reading from verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we've brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and and gentleness. So, this is, in the epistles now, this is direct instruction for us. This is Paul speaking to the to Timothy, who was leader of a church now, and he loved Timothy like a son, and he's instructing him. This is instruction for the church today. He says, godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. If you are content, it is so much easier. You know, the Bible says, in the Old Testament, it says, thou shalt not covet. That is one of the Ten Commandments. We are under that commandment, not because it's one of the Ten Commandments, but the same thing that's said in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, is repeated in in Romans chapter 13, verse 9. It says the same thing. It says, you shall not kill. You shall not kill. In, in, In Romans chapter 13, verse 9. You shall not covet. The commandment has come to us in the New Testament that we are not to covet. And in the Old Testament, it goes on. It says, you're not to covet your neighbor's wife. You're not to covet your neighbor's house. You're not to cover your neighbor's servants. You're not to cover your neighbor's donkey. You're not to cover his, uh, covet his oxen. I mean, God goes through, he says, everything there. So in other words, you're not to covet your neighbor's car. You're not to covet your neighbor's job. You're not to covet your neighbor's spouse. You're not to do this. God gets very specific with us. We are not to covet. The things that we are to covet, it says, covet the ministerial gifts in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, if you want to long for something, long for the greater ministerial gifts so that you could, you could reach out to people. But it says, when you are content, I was talking with a venture capitalist about six months ago, and he's an old friend of mine, he's into venture capitalist now, and, and uh, he has a, a you know, he, he spent his, his career in the electronics industry, and he knows that industry very well. And so now he got a job with a venture capitalist firm and he advises them on, on investments in electronic uh, startups. And, and we were talking about different deals and different things we had going. And I said, you know, there is nothing that I want that I cannot already afford. And he looked at me and said, there's nothing that I want that I can't already afford. Because my wants are very small. You know, I don't particularly want a Ferrari. there's nothing that I want that I can't already afford because I have, in many cases, I feel I have more than I can use. When your wants are small, I mean, it's, it's much easier. He says, godliness is a means to great gain when you have learned to live with contentment. I'm content with what I have. I'm content with what I have. And so my, I drive a, a, an 11-year-old minivan. And every car we get, we've only had two new cars in our family. 
And, and every car, new car we've gotten, Shireen gets it. And then after, you know, she gets the car and it's turned into a trash truck, you know, where she's raised four children in it for many years, then I get it. And I spend half a day just cleaning it and, you know, getting the Tootsie Roll wrappers out and the, and, and the, you know, the little suckers, you know, that are stuck all over the place and Cheerios all over from when the kids, you know, I spend half a day cleaning it out and, and, and getting it all nice. And she looks at the car and she says, you never cleaned it like that for me. I said, well, had I, it only would have lasted about a day. And then the kids want to come back in the car with food. And they say, uh-uh, no food in the car. What do you mean, no food in the car? I said, because this car is now different. <laughs> you know? and, and, and so then the new car gets turned into a trash truck. And then, then in a few years, I'll get that one. But when you learn to live with contentment, it is so much easier. It is so much easier to live. And I've gone through phases, and God's broken me of this. I remember... I had just gotten uh, my my PhD. I finished a postdoc. We were moving to our first my first position as an assistant professor. And I was thinking, you know, I did my PhD. I got my postdoc. Now it's time to get a house, and I really want a house. My brother has a house. My sister has a house. I mean, if not now, when? And we put an offer on a house, and and uh, it fell through. And we put an offer on another house, and it fell through. And the moving trucks were coming. And guess what? We had to move in an apartment. We didn't have a house. And God really broke me of that because I was upset. How come I can't have a house? God said, you have a house when it's the right time to have a house. And God was so gracious that because of that, we lived in an apartment for a year, so we really got to know the city and where was the best place to have a house, which was near to the church that we liked and near to work and, and opposite the sides of traffic. And so I didn't have to get on the highway to, to get to work. You know, so all these mistakes he sheltered me from. But I've struggled with these same sorts of things too. And, and, uh, uh, but when you are coupled, godliness coupled with contentment, it's really a great life. It says it's, it's a way for great gain. He says we brought nothing in the world. In verse 7, 1 Timothy 6, 7, we can't take anything with us. If we have food and covering, with this we shall be content. And that covering doesn't mean a house. It means clothing. The Bible, New Testament promises us only food and clothing doesn't even promise us a house. Did you know that? Jesus said that the birds of the air have nests, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. There is never a promise for the believer of a house or an apartment. If you have a house or an apartment, you have an added blessing. The promise is that God will give you food and clothing. And even those have been lost to those in times of persecution. But outside the times of persecution, that's all you're guaranteed. So learn to be content. The apartment is not quite what you want it to be, and the house is not quite what you want it to be. Be thankful that you have anything. Jesus didn't even have that. It says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. With food and clothing, you shall be content. That's the commandment. Anything beyond that is extra. So learn to be happy about what you have. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. I mean, what he's doing is he's saying, look, watch out. I have seen a lot of people fall into ruin and destruction. God is saying, because they wanted to get rich. And I've seen young, even young Christians like this. I've talked to a young guy 
And uh, I said, T- tell me, what, what do you want to do? He says, I just want to go out and make a lot of money. Because to me, it's a means to an end. Once I have a lot of money, then I can do the things I want to do. I'm like, you are crazy. You, you know what Johnny Cash said? Johnny Cash was very successful. He made a lot of money. I guess with a name like Cash, we make a lot of money. But Johnny Cash said, he said, uh, um, success is having to worry about every damn thing in the world except money. So, in other words, when you have a lot of money, you have so many other worries. I mean, it's very hard to raise children when you have a lot of money, especially if it's come to you easily. You have to worry about so many different things. What's going to happen? You know, what's going to, I, I know a guy, Michael Nesmith, who, who, who was the bass player for the, the Monkees. And uh, remember that, you guys know, Chuck, you remember the Monkees. All right, the bass player, the guy, the guy with the hat. So he started MTV, became very successful. He and I served for many years on a board together. And, uh, uh, you know, he used to have his own private plane. He says, I had to get rid of it. I just couldn't deal with the hassles. You know, this pilot wants this, and this pilot wants that, and the pilot... It's it it so much trouble. You know, where are you going to keep the plane? And he says it was great, the convenience of it, but it was just the troubles of it. So he's gone back to just flying commercial, because you just don't have to worry about all the problems of owning a plane. Now, that's not a problem I've ever had to worry about. And I'm glad I don't have to worry about that. Because it can thrust you into all sorts of troubles. He says, it, and, and what it's done, <clears throat> it says, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. So it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So, in other words, by longing for money, I love rich people. I'm happy for rich people. The Bible never says rich people give away your money. It says rich people, be generous. Be generous. Paul said to Timothy, instruct the rich to be generous. Tell them to be generous with what they have. Uh, uh, not, not to be holding on to, to, um, to other things. Look in verse 18 of that same chapter. Instruct them to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves treasures of a good foundation for the future, so that they may not take hold, so that they may take hold of that uh, of that which is life indeed. So he's instructing from verse 17: instruct those who are rich in in this present world. So, in other words, to the rich, the instruction was to be generous. But you don't want rich people to stop being rich because they fund so much. In the Jerusalem church, in the book of Acts, we see that they just started distributing among themselves. The rich people started selling their land and just distributing among everybody. And that sounds really great, doesn't it? It doesn't work. God never asked them to do it. And that within a few years, it became such an impoverished church, impoverished church, that they had to get donations from the Gentiles to support that church anymore. That's why the instruction in the New Testament epistles is not rich people, everything become equal, distribute everything to everybody. It is not. It is rich people become generous. I want rich people to keep having their companies and to keep having that cash flow coming in, not to sell their company, but to have it so that they can support Christian missions and good works. You see what I mean? It is much better than just dispersing the whole thing because those who have never had it don't know how to have it. And that's why every time a person wins a lottery, their life is destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. Because they've never known how to have money. And it just destroys their lives. And if you think you'd be an exception, you're wrong. The curse would be the day you, you win a big lottery. That is the day you will be cursed. 
your family will be destroyed. There are examples of Christian families that were blessed Christian families. They said, we're going to give 10% right up front, and we're going to give another 40% away to other causes. Their families have been destroyed because of money. If you've not learned to have it, it destroys your life. If you've not earned it and earned your way up on it, it destroys your life. And it is impossible to raise children once you have money dumped upon you. So, anyway, this is what the Bible warns us. But it's not, the lo- it's not having money, it is the love of money. So we have to be careful. It says, you, you store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. So what's the practical thing? You know, I have many targets in my life that I would love to solve. Is this my treasure? No. But it's not wrong to be ambitious. You know, you, you, you have targets in your life. You know, I want to accomplish this in my career. There are several projects that I have in research that I would love to get solved. And when I solve those, I'm not going to retire. I mean, there's going to be another thing I'll find. And I enjoy this. But it is not my treasure. And one way to keep you from wrongly placing where your treasure is is to always have some active ministry that you can throw yourself into. It may appear that I just read this portion for the first time when I walk in here to teach. But I'm reading this portion all week, all week long, at least six days during the week. So, so sometimes on Monday, I will read another portion rather than the portion that I'm going to be teaching from the following Sunday. But Tuesday through the following Sunday, I am reading and meditating in that portion. This is the ministry that I'm giving myself into. So for the last 13 years, it's been college students. Before that, for the last decade before that, it was the prison ministry. I pour myself into that ministry. I pray for the people in that ministry. Going to church is not a ministry any more than watching Sunday football on TV makes you a football player. It doesn't. All right? You may learn something about the game, but you have to participate. There's some participation involved. You know, watching P90X, just watching it isn't going to make you in shape. I mean, you've got to do it. Or, or, or insanity, or whatever, whatever it is. I mean, you've got you've to do those workouts. You have an active ministry, and it starts here. If you do not have an active ministry in your life in college, it will be very hard for you. All of a sudden, you got your job, and to all of a sudden start having an active ministry, because an active ministry in college is much easier. Because you have a, a network around you that can help, help to do this. When you get out, a lot of times you have to you know, do it much more on your own. But you're preparing each week for that Bible study that you have to teach. This is what gets you to focus on the treasures of heaven. You can still have your goals and your career goals. And I'm, I say if you don't have career goals, you've got a problem. I mean, you want to aim for something. Most people aim at nothing and they hit it every time. So you aim at some great target. Do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But let your treasure be in heaven. Have some ministry that has value beyond this life, where you're pouring into that, where you're praying for people. This can be in just teaching kids, in in doing Awana classes on Wednesday nights, where you don't just show up there, but you really prep for this thing. You pray for these kids. Where you have a difference. This could be, you know, coaching Little League, where you pour yourself out into these kids. You can have ministries in this. This can be around what you're talented at. If you're talented at music, you do this sort of thing. If you're talented at singing, you do this sort of thing. But you have something that directs a goal toward heaven. Let your treasure be in heaven. 
He says, or else you're going to miss this thing. You're going to miss this thing, and and so you, you let your treasure be in heaven. If God should bless you with much money, just remember to be generous, and generosity starts now. If you start making a lot of money, you say, when I make a lot of money, then I will be generous. Then I will tithe. You will not. You are a liar. You will not. Tithing starts now. And you say, well, I don't make much money. Well, what do you make? How much do your parents give you to live on at college? Do they give you a dollar? Give 10 cents to the church. That is for you. It's not that the church will get any great value out of your 10 cents. It is for you. It is what that does in your life. It teaches you to be generous. This is what happens. If they give you $10 a week to live on, you give a dollar of that, and I guarantee you God will take care of you. You will not die. You give a tenth of what you get to the Lord's work. You give it out, and you will be blessed. And if you want to give more than that, that's fine. But I'm saying you start there. You start there. That will place something in your life. Let your treasure accumulate to somewhere else, to somewhere much greater. You will have a much better life as a result. This is what Jesus is saying. He says you can't serve two masters. You've got to have heaven as your focus. And then you can have all these great career goals. That's fine. But remember, every one of us has to have some treasures that we are accumulating. And those stack up. They are there. We are accumulating for heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of your word. Your word is so good. Father, I pray for these young people that they would store up treasures in heaven and that they would start accumulating for that now. Pour out through their lives that they would bless others in their lives. Father, I pray that you would bless them and protect them and that you would teach them to be generous and so that they can be trusted with much greater things. Teach them to be generous. And should some of them become successful and very successful and have, have, have lots of money, Father, I pray that they would have learned the patterns of generosity in their young lives, lest it destroy them. Father, I pray that we would have a right focus on the things of this world, lest it destroy our lives as it has destroyed so many others. Father, your mercy and your grace abound upon us, I pray. Father, I pray you bless these young people. Work in their lives in the name of Jesus. Amen.